Hey everybody, it's me, Stage Manager Goofy. <coughs> Are you ready for the show? Well, that's great. Uh, hey, uh, Goofy, uh, 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 you did this intro already. Gorsh, I did. Yeah, that's how I Hmm, I thought I felt a sense of deja voodoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, don't worry, pal. We've got you covered. Hello, uh, Donald, <laughs> uh, you're in one scene. <laughs> Why don't we all do it together, fellers? Oh boy, that's a great idea. <laughs> Alrighty. Oh him. Oh him. Hey, Mike, can you conduct us in? Oh, you got it. Welcome, Welcome to, to the Animal Music Podcast. You know what? That beats any ride intro I could have ever potentially done. Thank you to Mickey, Donald, and Goofy for introducing us for this very special episode of Animusings. AKA, um, thank you Ernie, Austin, and Ronnie for contributing your voices. You guys are all talented. Thank you. <laughs> the, it might hold the Santa beard off right early, why don't you? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I, it, uh, credit where credit is due is very important. Besides, isn't this isn't this whole thing kind of about like pulling the mask away with awkward celebrity cameos anyway oh, on God. the process of making Fantasia and about what Fantasia is apparently supposed to be? Because oh. uh, it's a new millennium, everybody. It's the year two thousand. It's the year of cameos and computer graphics starting to matter way too much. Exactly. <laughs> And it feels more egregious here than it should be this early. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, welcome to Anna Musings. I am your host, Kayla King. I'm joined by my husband, David King. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 and uh, we are joined um, once again by the awesome Abysme and Paprika. Hello. Uh, the awesome Abysme and Paramount Paprika. Yes, my apologies. Uh, the awesome Disney and Paramount for free. This is not. A I Paramount. have a title. Yeah, Paramount I, I, didn't put this out. Yeah, this is a Disney production. <laughs> I got um, my title Paramount from the Greys, so I expect to be addressed as such. You know, that's that's valid, mm-hmm. Madam Paramount. Uh, <laughs> forgive me, Madam uh, Non IP Non Brand Paramount. <laughs> <laughs> non trademark. Do not. Whereas, you know, whenever you say Abysme TM, you have to say Abysme TM. <laughs> also, I am not a lawyer. <laughs> I wonder if I can trademark I'm not a lawyer. I don't think you can, because I'm sure everybody on, on YouTube ha- has to do that. A lot of them. Well, the smart ones do. Little circle R near there. Registered trademark. Oh, there's Maybe there's some sort of, like, symbol that you can come up with that means I am not a lawyer. <laughs> and put it on every document. Oh, it's- that would be great if I could just stamp that <laughs> everywhere. Like the the whole effort to make a sarcastic symbol, but for lawyers. I, you know, I was just thinking the same thing too, like the sarcasm symbol, but for not lawyers. I feel like sarcasm has been sort of captured with the SpongeBob meme, where he's a chicken, pretty well. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Memes solve everything, honestly. Yeah. Think about it. You you want to? It, it's such a okay. Memes hadn't really hit 
super strong yet at this point in the year 2000, right? No, well, we not are... in its not in its current form, not in its final. Yeah, it wasn't no, widespread. A... Right. This is um we're in a new frontier. We are 20 years uh, removed from the year that this came out now. Well, how old were we all? We were around 11, yes. I was 10. Okay, so I was 11. Actually, so weird uh weird thing about this film. This has multiple openings, and the first one actually was 1999. Mm. And oh, because it was a Disney Vault movie, sort of thing. More it, okay. There's it has a weird history. It has a very large history. Like okay, um, it's a very long one too. Like this film took oh goodness 20 years to make. <laughs> like since like at the start of its production, and it didn't even start there. It was before. Um. I guess I'll just jump into the history. So um, as uh, Abby knows and David and I know from years past when we discussed Fantasia, the original in 1940. That was our third episode. Yeah. Damn. I know. Like, Here we are three years later. Uh, so the original plan for that film was to re-release it and then replace the segments with other segments that would have um, uh, different music, different animations. So... Uh, you wouldn't be seeing the same movie twice. That didn't happen because uh, Fantasia flopped. And <laughs> the original Fantasia? Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it flopped. flopped. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It, it did so badly that um, it actually led... That was one of the reasons it led them to go... Uh, I guess, wasn't it like a, into bankruptcy? Or like they almost... They're close to it. They were close to bankruptcy. Wow, okay. Probably yeah. helped contribute to the attitude around the studio that led to the animator strike, too. So Yeah, uh, okay. Um, uh, but over time, uh, the film began to be critically appreciated and, um, yeah, it's hard to think of a film that actually has that. It's hard to think of a Disney film that has, well, okay. That's actually not true. I was about to say, it's hard to think of a Disney film that has a more culture, bigger cultural impact than Fantasia, but Fantasia has been in the cultural zeitgeist for so long mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. people hear it and you know what, it, you know, the images it evokes are mm-hmm. pretty obvious. People remember, you know, Sorcerer Mickey. People remember Chernabog. People remember um, the... I guess it's one of those movies where you, you don't preface preface it with, have you seen Fantasia? Yeah. I guess, actually, that's that's a fair assessment. More like, do you know what Fantasia is? <laughs> More like, it's assumed that everybody does is kind of what I'm getting at, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, It'd be more surprising if people didn't know what Fantasia was. Mm-hmm. So in 1984, uh, Roy E. Disney, who is the nephew of Walt Disney and the son of his brother Roy, um, uh, came to Michael Eisner and said, I would like to uh, like do a sequel to Fantasia or revive it. And um, production actually began in 1990, and they had a plan for a 1997 release. Uh, what actually prompted them in 1990 to realize, oh, we should go forward with this, is that they did a re-release, a theatrical re-release of Fantasia, and it did really well. Like, it actually brought in $25 million, and <laughs> then they had a VHS release, which prompted 9 million pre-orders. So altogether, um, according to this article, uh, it probably brought in about 180 million. Wow. From wow. a re That's amazing. Well, you know, people were- well, Fantasia at that point had some historic value. People were like, yeah. people were like, okay, Snow White is special. I have to show myself, my kids something else special from that era or something mm-hmm. like that. I bet. 
It it's easily, I think, Disney's most high concept piece that they've come up with too. Oh, yeah. you know? It's yeah. implied that it's educational and it has like um like mythical um status, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about appreciating the arts. You've got the art of animation and the art of you know classical music. So absolutely. Sure. Uh so as they went forward with it, um <laughs> guess who's your favorite person that God mm. So again, I had to stop myself. He's back. No, it's only a short period. I know, but I I realize every time we go back to this era, Katzenberg is going to rear his ugly head and ruin (laughs) everything for me. Like he always does. Well, go away, Jeffrey. So Jeffrey Katzenberg actually had no interest into this project. Of course he didn't. Actually, because he hates fun. He actually (laughs) was a bit hostile towards it. Of course he was. Now here's the interesting part. Um, Roy, because like remember, Jess, Jeffrey Katzenberg was like the god at this time. He said, "Well, um, that's fine. I'm just going to go only to Michael Eisner about this when we discuss development." And that was considered strange at that time. Uh-huh. Like that, that's everybody's like, "What? You're not going to go through Jeffrey?" He's like, "No, I'm going through Michael Eisner." So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they had a choice. You could choose who you went through. No, usually it, Jeffrey was like the final say for the most part, but okay. you have to but subvert he, Jeffrey. They have to subvert Jeffrey because Jeffrey kills fun. But the but the interesting part is like you can't really say no to Walt Disney's nephew, and this, <laughs> this uh, okay. and this is his baby project. <laughs> nepotism, <laughs> yay! Familial nepotism. No, no, this is actually yeah. Roy Disney's baby. It's oh, weird. He pops up quite a bit. Well, this. yeah. I mean, we saw Waking Sleeping Beauty. We, mm-hmm. you know, saw how that went. Uh, so they brought in um, the famed Metropolitan Opera conductor, James Levine, uh, to basically... And he's, is he in the film? He is, yes. He's the conductor, right? He's the conductor of the of the, the orchestra. Because uh, one of the questions I would have, sorry uh, to stop you, is whether or not the symphony playing is like, you know, some sort of... Um, um, stage symphony or if it is like legit a symphony it, it is recorded it, for the movie. It, I, I do know this one it's the it's the chicago symphony orchestra yes it is the legit symphony yeah okay um act but because, mm-hmm. go ahead go well ahead. it's the, the entire like the the scene in which the this you see the symphony almost if because the backdrop is so dramatic it feels very cartoon like you know uh you know image is more important than music i guess but yeah, I guess it, it is a real symphony. I'm just, I'm going through the images right now, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. with the backdrop that they have? Yeah, because it is very elaborate, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sorry we're to stop you. Yeah, no, that's fine. We're going we're gonna to be drawing a lot of comparisons between this and the uh, the original, the first Fantasia for mm-hmm. obvious reasons, but uh, yeah. Um, but because of how Fantasia works because you have to listen to the music and then compose the, uh, the art pieces to the music. This took a very long time. Actually, uh, they also had to do research associated with this classical music and find the right piece. I mean, later on, uh, it gets brought up for the steadfast tin soldier that they struggled to find a music piece for it. Mm -hmm. So, Mm-hmm. So they wait, wait. Sorry, they compose the art, the the animation, and then they would struggle to find the music to to match it. Well, I think in some cases it was more like or, they had the idea for a Fantasia short, 
and they'd want, and sometimes I feel like the, the animation idea would come first and they'd fi- try to find music to go with it. But most of the time it seems like they heard the music and it inspired this image. That's usually mm-hmm. how it would go. Steadfast and soldier was an awkward one. Cause they were like, we want to animate it or animate this idea of the steadfast tin soldier. Cause it was an original right. story, but they wanted a good music piece for it where the other ones are, they listen to it and then they're like, you know, this makes me think of this. That's actually how the others did work. But, mm-hmm. um, and as I continue, uh, <laughs> so it premiered at Carnegie hall on December 17th, 1999, uh, with the Philharmonic orchestra of London performing live. Awesome. That's yeah. a really good Philharmonic. Yeah. I can't imagine. Can you imagine how cool it would have been to be there? Oh my God. Oh, no, no. Can no. you imagine how expensive it would be to be there? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the interesting part this was not just a one time thing. There's, they actually did multiple for- performances. Um, this was also at the uh, Ro- Royal Albert Hall in London. Yeah. On- for money. On, <laughs> on December 21st. Also, this, uh, I'm going to butcher some of these. The Theatre de Champs-Élysées in Paris on December 22nd, the Orchid Hall in Tokyo on December 27th, the, and the Pasadena Civic Auditorium in Pasadena, <laughs> California on December 31st. Amazing place, you know. amazing place, amazing place, Pasadena. <laughs> Hard Pasadena. <laughs> so, th- <laughs> My man. <laughs> Um, so then the film was released in 75 IMAX theaters worldwide from January 1st to April 30th in 2000. And this is the first animated feature length film to be released in this format. Um, from in the format? In, in the IMAX. IMAX format. Oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it earned $64.5 million at the end of its run. And then, uh, it had a general release to all theaters, like regular theaters, on June 16th, 2000, uh, which is why I say there was multiple dates. Right. And this is why this is coming after the Tigger movie, because, yes, technically it opened before the Tigger movie, but it was generally released right. after the Tigger movie. Right, right. Not everybody could go to IMAX theaters. Of course. Then. I think I remember seeing this in a regular theater, so... Uh, I'll, I actually saw an IMAX, but we'll talk about that later. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. Uh, so because of how long it took, uh, we did see an IMAX. Hmm. Uh, the fact that I don't remember if I did probably tells you about my theater experience. (laughs) So, um, because it took so long to make, and there was a lot of effort put into this. And again, it was Roy Disney's baby. So it's like, uh, it, it went up to about like 80 to 90 million. And this is not just this alone. Let's not forget um, each performance that they have at these different places cost about a million dollars to mm. each time to perform. Uh-huh. So, and it only grossed 90.8 million worldwide. Fantasia 2000? Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, they called it Roy's Folly and we're like, oh, Roy, why? <laughs> um it opened to mixed reviews, and um, the reason I say mixed is because uh, reviewers would review like the segment separately. Some of them they said we adore this segment; it was beautiful. Where others they were like, mm, "It's okay." Uh, the one that they kept giving praise to the most is the Firebird Suite, which we will get into mm-hmm. later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, and the one that they keep. Uh, 
they were like meh about was actually the first one, uh, Beethoven Symphony Number no. Five. Okay, and I yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can agree with that. Well, and we'll talk about it because much like everybody else, being a bunch of people with microphones, we're going to talk about. <laughs> Each can of the we sections. talk about Symphony Number no. Five? I need to talk about Symphony. Well, no. we we can. We j- will. We will talk about Symphony Number no. Five. I mean, if do we want to talk about our personal histories on this film, or do we want to just jump into it? I don't know. My personal history with this film is: as a kid, I did see it in theaters, whether it was IMAX or a regular theater. I think it might have been IMAX. Mm-hmm. But what I remember, really remember it more for was uh, something I would watch on VHS. I remember there being situations where I would I would take. Uh, the original Fantasia, watch that. And then like the next day, watch the Fantasia 2000 just to see how it had changed. And um, I remember enjoying this one. And I think to this, uh, my personal history with it is that I still enjoy it. I, um, I'll give my final thoughts on how I feel about it at the end. But I think overall, I have a positive feeling about this movie mm-hmm. and about this, the, the, the segments in general. But we, you know, uh, I don't have a deep, deep connection with this on like the original Fantasia, which I, you know, is like ingrained in my soul. So um, with actually, I remember this film vividly because when I was 10, I really wanted to see it because I, mm-hmm. I thought it was only going to be shown in IMAX. That was what 10 year old Kayla thought. And I had the luck that my um, classroom would, decided to take a school field trip. Um, and took all the kids uh, to an IMAX theater to see this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was beautiful and it was lit up and I really did enjoy it. But for some reason, I didn't like continue to watch it. Like, I, I think I, that was. Did you fall asleep or something? No, 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 no. And like I, at the theater, I loved it. But like afterwards, it wasn't like, I don't think I actually owned the film or anything. Mm. I think I kind of treated I think, it. Like, I think I can see why. I have theories, and I'll we'll talk about them later. Of course, but yeah, I think I kind of treated it like a uh, like a theater production, like oh, you see it once and that's it, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it, it um, I think it was until I older that it kind of clicked. Like, oh yeah, this is a movie. <laughs> uh, so uh, um, can I just to, to, uh, I'm sorry, I'll ask a question when you guys are done. No, okay. I uh, your, your timings. Perfect. I Good. like that's that's really my his, main history with this film. So, so um, Abismi, why don't you go first? Uh, this was put on in school one day, and I half paid attention, and then I stopped watching, and then I didn't see it again until we watched it for this episode. Oh, that's how much I cared about Fantasia <laughs> 2000. <laughs> Good story. That's it. <laughs> so I kind of wanted to go last because honestly, I don't have any re- recollection of ever seeing Fantasia 2000. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Um, oh. Yes. So is that going to be a problem? No, no, not at all. So um, I, I remember seeing Fantasia at such a young age that all I have is just vague memories of the wizard and Bald Mountain and like, uh, you know, the satyrs and stuff. <laughs> oh my God, who cares? Oh, the sorcerer's apprentice. <laughs> oh my God, you're not even a lawyer. <laughs> you need to be a lawyer to know that. Who cares? <laughs> Hey, I'd like to add for the record that I tweeted out before we recorded this that everyone makes this mistake and it pisses me off. He looks like a wizard. He has the pointed hat and I love it. Hey, uh. hey, to be fair, to be fair, uh Yen Sid could be a sorcerer. The hat of the uh the hat of wizardry is a item that lets you cast wizard cantrips. So Vicky could it could well, go both ways. I would like to point out that he has a long white beard, he has a pointed hat, and he looks like Merlin. <laughs> Yeah, but he's not he's, Merlin. But he looks like Merlin. 
And that's how public goes. Fake fan. I never said I was a fan, and that's why I asked if this is going to be a problem. No, no it won't be a problem. Anyway, I have a question for you guys. Yes. So, do you remember, like, so Kayla, you said specifically that this movie you enjoyed the hell out of it. Can you can you describe what you enjoyed when you were a kid about the spectacle? Like, what um, what aspects to both David and Kayla? Um, stuck with you and and in, in your reviewing recently how that might have changed because I'm curious to know about the different decades and the mindsets of a child compared to now um I think it was honestly what I remember from it was the theatrical experience I mean I I've been to IMAX shows before and usually yeah. they fully involve you like you feel like you're there it really does um entrance you and I feel like with this it did entrance me. And I, I, I do kind of think it was uh, the whole theater's experience that really mm. got to me. I'm actually, that's actually kind of my case too, as I think about it. You know, like some movies you'll go and see and you'll remember having a great theater experience, even if maybe you don't enjoy the movie as much later. Yeah. Um, uh, you know what movie that was for me? It was The Hangover. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I can tell you right now, I haven't seen it since I saw it in that first uh, theater experience, but um, I think one of the reasons The Last Jedi as a movie is endeared to me is because the theater going experience, going to see it, was so good. It might be one of my favorite theater going experiences the, ever. Yeah. The fans Man. make a big difference, right? With watching yeah. something like Star Wars. Well, hearing totally. the reactions was amazing. Um, I mean, yeah. that part, there's you know the part where Admiral Hodo does her like suicide run. And since all the sound comes out in the movie, you heard the whole theater gasp. Like a collective mm. intake of breath. And it was magical. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I remember, yeah, kind of just being, you know, like David Lynch once described, you know, the way a theater experience was, was like you, the curtains open and suddenly you're in another world. A good movie mm-hmm. will do that. Mm-hmm. That's what Fantasia 2000 felt like to me when, when I was a kid, like mm-hmm. I was fully mm-hmm. in it. I didn't have, there wasn't anything at the time that took me out of the, the experience. Okay. So that's my, that's the, my main takeaway from it. And looking back at it now, it's more like, because I'm looking at it with a critical eye, I, you know, I'm seeing the things about it, but there's still certain moments, even in the ones I don't like that much like in the original Fantasia that are like, I feel like a little surge, a little nostalgic surge when I see these, these certain specific moments of this. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so, I mean, like what I look, when I look at this movie, all I really see is the definition of fanfare. Like, um, <laughs> I see that's true. So they're they're doing everything they can to try and capture an audience with this movie, mm. um, and honestly, the stories are kind of lost on me. <laughs> I don't yeah. remember them. All I remember are, are like uh, CG whales and butterflies, and that. The, but that being said, uh, the one that sticks with you the most is definitely the Firebird, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but we can get into that. I don't know. Oh, we we totally can, and we're gonna kind of hit them like one at a time. I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, luckily, because they're in segments, we can um, go segment by segment. And since, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I definitely we've had you both on Animusings before separately. So one of the things I've been looking forward to is having you both here together. Um, even if you know only Abysmi was here for Fantasia, the original. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a great opportunity to, to really get into the nitty gritty of this movie. Oh, so. absolutely. Um, so the first one is, uh, Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 5, and actually this was titled, uh, Bats and Butterflies. Um, it was created and directed by, uh, and I hope I, I'm sorry if I butcher his name, Piote Hunt. Um, this took two years to make, and, um, wow. yeah, 
this, it's it's a bunch of flying Doritos. What is it? Does it really take that long to well, make a bunch of flying Doritos? Well, well, one yes. Of the, one of the things they uh, did, because the idea was they were trying to make it surreal, kind of like this similar intro in the first one. Here's the big problem with that. I want to know if people agree with me. They failed? This is This is the thesis statement for this movie. Remember Fantasia? <laughs> well, you, okay. You, we, we tried again, but not really. We spent two years on this and it's all right. The, the also, big... kind of the ethos of that scene is is the more cluttered the frame, the more beautiful as well, right? Right. Yeah. But it, you know, they, they do this big thing where, of course, the, the, they're cranking the grandiosity of the whole thing up to 11, supposedly. Because you have that part where at the very beginning we swoop into the theater, right? And there's all these big screens in like a starscape, right? Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. remember how simple it was in Fantasia where it was just kind of blue, soft blue lighting, but other lighting would come in and you would just see the silhouettes of the orchestra. And that was pretty much it. This yeah. is like going, here's that, but look how much cooler it is now. I think yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I think another thing that bugs me about this is there is a story. And, yeah, and kind of. Yeah. Well, but but um, I mean the the thing the thing that I think is is weird is that they're very much like, but we're going to be like Fantasia, and look how stickler we are to tradition. We're going to have the original intro that says, you know, the the original host segment that says, oh, there's the three kinds of music on our Fantasia program, and we're we're opening with this third kind abstract music, and of course. Uh, if you've seen Fantasia, you know about the Toccata and Fugue, which is actually, you know, true to that statement. There's no, there's mm-hmm. no story. It's just a bunch of surreal, really beautiful imagery to, you know, one of the most famous pieces you probably hear on a pipe organ a lot. For, well, and you know, Toccata, it was like the animation for Toccata is almost being like slowly drawn or bathed in almost watercolor, patchy ephemeral animation yeah and it's it's soft but it's still striking and it's just it's so surreal it's beautiful it is the animation for beethoven's fifth is so clean in contrast which you could say okay they made they they didn't repeat themselves in animation they made something very harsh and really sharp lines but it's just kind of like okay yeah right yeah. Right, and your point about the story, Kayla. Uh, the reason why is because it's like, like you said, abstract. They had a story in mind. It's the good versus evil, bats versus butterflies. They actually went to the San Diego Zoo so they could study uh, butterflies. Wow. Yeah, and so they also bats too. So that way, it looked like like how they flew. You, you know that historic rivalry in nature, bats and butterflies. <laughs> Look, I'm telling you, all I well, see are a bunch of flying Doritos. We're, 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 well, they did all this study work. And then, I mean, what were they studying? Because they just put triangles on the screen. Uh, probably like the movements. Yeah, it's just they like, made it very yeah. geometric. Yeah. Yeah. I and, I, and I get it. They're trying to make it unique and quote unquote abstract. But the beginning intro for Fantasia was abstract. It did. It was just creating animation to sound it was and when i mean animation to sound just it it, it, like there's no storyline it's just pure surrealism basically in a weird way so actually i have another question that this is kind of bringing up can one be classical in the modern age yes you think so because i i have no um i guess i don't really have a radar for it but what is classical these days so you the question the answer is yes the real question is should you 
And that's, I, we're kind of skipping to the conclusion of this discussion. But for me, the biggest failing of Fantasia 2000 is that it didn't, it, it was trying to be half classical, half modern, when it should have just modernized everything, because you can't recapture what was done in the 40s. You have to update it because you have one foot in the old and one foot in the new. And that's why it feels like such a half-baked idea. But we'll get to that later on. Right. Let's yeah, put a pin in that. Because I, okay. I have I have theories, too, why they might have done what they had done. Um, but, yeah, with this one, it's not the strongest. It's very... This is... this is. I, I think the music is fine because, obviously, it's Beethoven. It's Beethoven's fifth. What am I saying? Yeah, I, mean, I, know. I, get, I get it a little bit, but... but if you're going to, if you're going to call it abstract, don't have a story. Even the beginnings of a storyline, let it be. It's just a, let it just be images. It's it's that's kind it's of what I got out of it. It was just images to me. Yeah, and like, I mean, really, but the fact that there's there's uh, there's like the big Dorito and the little Dorito, <laughs> and they're like spraying each other with water, and then the bats show up, and then the big Dorito pushes the little Dorito away and gets caught in the swarm, and then. There's some stuff that it's like it's trying to be like abstract, but it's also having a, a little, but like the barest bone idea of of kind of a story with kind of a conflict is is it's so contradictory to what they're saying this this piece kind of is. So this is why this it it, it starts on a low note for me. This is my least favorite of the. Um, I have a lot of questions about this though. Yeah. yeah. Because they, they they studied uh, butterflies and bats. Um, it, it looks to me like they studied the general movement, like in a very expressionist way. Yeah. Um, and then they, they moved to CG to throw like millions of bats on the screen. Like, why? Why yeah, do there have to be a million bats? It, it feels very like, and it's always just look at the look at the millions of things. Look how fast they're going. They're zipping around. And again, it's very much in contrast to Takata, but. And maybe we're being a little cynical because we've just been inundated with flashy CGI and so much stuff these oh, days. But yeah, the, no, definitely, Caps is used for this. Like, actually, um, we've seen incredible stuff with Caps. Yeah, like, genuinely incredible stuff. Yeah, uh, with Caps. Uh, uh, it's a computer animation program. Oh, okay, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I mean, that's what they actually, I think they still use it, right? For they, in Pixar. Oh yeah, they still do. Yeah. Pixar created it. So, uh, the company. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. uh, and CGI is used in every single one of these, mm-hmm. by the way. Sure. Like, oh, really? Oh, oh yeah. Some, oh, yeah. some are, are more obvious than others, like way more obvious. Uh, this right. is one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but you're you're not the only ones. Actually, when I was looking through reviews, most of them said this was a weak one. Most of them mm-hmm. said this was a weak piece, and that's a shame because of how much effort went in. Clearly, very clearly went into it, and it oh, just yeah. doesn't land. Oh, no. it's like you're going in an art gallery, and somebody tells you this big and fantastic story about a painting, and you go, "Oh, that's nice," and then you walk past it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's very apt. I will say, I, I think there are moments that are okay. Like, I think the moment that sticks with me from this that I really like is actually, and it's partly because of the music, but there's that part where at the bottom of the screen is just full of bats. There's the little pink butterfly that's flying away from them. And it's just like this sea of these black bats. And then, you know, th- there's those musical beats, you know, the dun, dun, dun. And there's like those like 
almost big mountain cliff faces that just like flash into existence perfectly in time with the music before they like go, it goes back to darkness. And I'm like, mm-hmm. see that I kind of like that. I kind of like that image, but that's but, the yeah. main takeaway from it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, eh, it, it's short. You know and- what it is? Sorry, go ahead. What? What is it? It feels like Disney bereft of branding. It's, um, mm. there's nothing, you know, a child, uh, it picks up on and sort of like, you know, Disney works to make art very digestible, I think, to children. Um, and so you, you get these really iconic characters. And I was watching Aladdin recently with my father, and I just looked at, like, for instance, the guards in Aladdin, and I just thought about how long it probably took them to, to come up with the design of their outfits. Like it looks simple to us, but it's, it's actually like really complicated to make something like they're supposed to be these aggressive yet comical. It is they're, they're, they're supposed to be authoritative, but, but slapsticky. It's very like, it's, it's gotta be like a, a hard line to sort of walk. Very, very and, fine balance. Yeah. Sure, and you remember what they look like. But in here, in this little piece, there's there's nothing to, to grab onto. There's nothing for a child to go, I'll remember that. There's just a whole bunch of abstract images. And and maybe that's a good thing or a bad thing. But I'm just wondering, like, if that's why this pe- part of why this piece doesn't stick with us as well. well as, that, brings, you know. that brings up yeah. a really good point. Like, even in the original Fantasia with the Sugar Plum Fairy section, you know, they're kind of they're not abstract shapes, but they're not exactly like characters. But you still remember those. You yeah, still like remember the, the, their movements. They have character to them. Yeah, you you remember the like the gold the gold or the 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 angelfish. Oh yeah, angelfish. The, yeah, even the dancing, the dancing mushroom. mushrooms. Yeah, the, like yeah, you remember all of those. Yeah. yeah, the flowers just, doing the Russian well, dancing. He, like, here's the yeah. interesting thing: Have you realized none of those have stories? No, the they focus don't. is just on them. As uh-huh. characters in their movement, it's the spectacle. It's the yeah. spectacle, and that's uh, that's what the idea is. The focus is on them as a spectacle, and I think um, here's my theory. So remember, Fantasia still flopped. It was 1940, and it still flopped. But that's because I think it was ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. They were thinking, what if we make these beautiful animations in time to music and it it was something creative and new problem is you got 1940s audiences still in the first uh uh the first um whatever it's called uh it's it's the first um stage of filmmaking like let's not forget filmmaking only started happening not even that long ago and disney just made their first feature animated feature ever like in history like yeah at all so they're more like but we want to see something simple we just want to see a story we don't want this creative crap i want Uh, the cow to walk up and hit the man on the head and it'll make me laugh it's still it it was too it was too again a too like high concept for but not later but not later on that's interesting which is yeah which is funny because fantasia 2000 feels like it's behind the times when it it comes out yeah and i i I think uh, we started saying yeah that's interesting huh it's been yeah. 20 years and it's been, tw- that's, that's an interesting point. It's been uh, 20 years and Fantasia 2000 feels old and dated. Whereas Fantasia 1940s feels, feels timeless. Timeless. It does. It does. Dude, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And you know, it's it, part of again, you you the the stage is set by this first number. It's not abstract enough to be a proper opening number, but it doesn't have anything really compelling enough about it to make it uh, a genuinely interesting piece. It's just kind of it kind of fails on both fronts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it doesn't have any like that of that soft, big eyed, doughy uh, character. There's there those are even they make efforts later in this. You don't see them merchandising the flying Doritos, so I mean that's true. But how would you like? How would you even go about that? I mean, that clearly wasn't the point. They thought they were doing something heady by by doing this abstract. You get construction paper. You make a bunch of yellow and black bees, and you throw it at children at Disneyland. You have confetti that you shoot out at a parade, and then you sell uh, Doritos that are in the shapes of the little orange butterfly and the little pink butterfly, actual <laughs> Doritos chips that you eat. By the way, this, this bite the wing off like the bats did. You know what the worst thing is in this film though? And this probably dates it more than anything is. The- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The celebrities. Burn. Why would you have celebrities oh. introduce you realize as time passes, like I was surprised. Like I turned to Dave and I'm like, I'm surprised they're all still alive right now. <laughs> <laughs> like none of them have passed away yet. And like, there's going to be a point where people are like, who the heck is this? Person? We're going to, we're going to talk about <laughs> how, who introduces each segment. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. like we have, I, I have that listed who introduces. Right. Each are we, are we good to move on to uh pines? Of yeah. Rome? I, yes. I yeah. think we did. Okay. Yeah. I feel so bad about picking this part of beef. No, but this, but this is why this is why we want you here. Yeah, we're, 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 I'm I'm like sitting here and I'm I'm like feeling this great sense of joy that we can all sit here as uh, um, self-described intellectuals and pull apart <laughs> this movie. That's important. Self-described. So yes. Uh, the next piece is called Odorino's uh, Respigis. I okay. If I'm butchering it, I'm so sorry. No worries. Uh, it's Italian. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Pines of Rome. And um, this was directed by Hendo Batoy, who uh, we'll see again later on. Uh, and um, when he heard, uh, when the animators heard the opening of it, uh, they just are, well, the director specifically, uh, Batoy, when he first heard the opening of this, he said, I thought of something flying. And then he actually uh storyboarded it using post-it notes oh um yeah okay uh, this that's actually not a bad way to storyboard i mean that's no not at all really it's like this kind of fascinating i think this one took the most effort if i recall like it's, it's, uh, here, it was the it's one of the well one thing one thing compared to the original fantasia as i've noticed that have you i mean I, I picked up on this a lot of the segments are shorter than an average se- segment of fantasia would be this one feels the most like it could be in a proper Fantasia piece because it's long, it's paced well. I mean, it, it doesn't overstay its welcome, but it's long enough that stuff happens. It's paced it's well. Like a dramatic it, piece of music. Yeah. And it's, yes. And it, and it works really well with the music. I, I actually really like this This one. feels the most Fantasia to me, in mm-hmm. all honesty. I feel mm-hmm. like... Uh, <sighs> I will okay. L- let me explain. First of all, it feels like the typical length of a Fantasia film. There is a story, but it's so subtle, like the rest of the other Fantasia works. And the whole idea is it's just feeling, and that's what a lot of the Fantasia um, segments are. You're watching it, and you're just feeling rather than a story's being told. You're just kind of in the moment with this. And it, cause it is about a bunch of whales flying. <laughs> it, there really isn't much of a storyline. It's just whales 
flying, but you feel well. Don't they lose the baby at some point or something? Yeah, but it's a it's very simplistic. It's but that's how it was in the other Fantasia segments too. It's a sim like uh, the uh, the Greek mythology one. Yeah, there's a couple of weird moments, but it's never real. They're not really in ever any danger. It's just. You're just kind of in the moment. With Zeus kind of rolls in and he starts throwing lightning bolts for the heck of it, but no one, no one dies. There's and no then, real conflict per se. Yeah, Zeus just kind of shows up and is a is a jerk for a few chaos. He's just a chaos god. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> He's a chaos god. Just the, the one time we get to see Hephaestus, here, my, boy Hephaestus. my boy, <laughs> boy. Uh, but yeah, this one, it's uh, again, it's exactly the length I expected a Fantasia segment to be. It's um, uh, the animation flows very well with uh, the music, but not only that, they do use CGI in this. Like you clearly can see the CGI, but it's like they're trying to um, go. It's like they're trying to do they're, something different. Yeah. It, that's exactly it. This this piece is a lot like they're trying to break a mold. They're definitely trying. You see them. You see the gears turning behind the uh, the, the the picture where they're they're going. All right, CGI is a thing. We're going to have to start using it soon. Let's see how we can stretch our legs on, on this piece and, and really like try something new and different. Unfortunately, you know? the CGI is the weakest, weakest point. Because, oh so, man, yeah, does, there's a does few, it look bad in a lot of places? There's really a few bad. scenes where the whales just, you know, they try to create expression, uh, movements with expression with the CGI. And it just like makes the whales look like weird blobs with, with big cartoon eyes <laughs> on them. There's, and, there's two really bad points that I can remember. The first yeah. one is that they're, they're, the water is 2D animated or at least made to look like that. Like water. The and whales it's gorgeous, aren't. Yeah, and they're interacting and they just don't. Like, it looks so unnatural. And it's like whales skimming water, so it looks fucking bizarre. And the other one is when the baby is ascending into the light shaft and it's like either they're trying to go for another weird expressionist thing, but it's not quite interacting with light in this mm-hmm. in an appropriate way that natural things do mm-hmm. and it just takes you out of it you're like it just it just looks great all i could think of in that moment is the baby whale had pulled the master sword the <laughs> <laughs> uh, 7 years later like i said, I said uh, my thought is it feels the most fantasia that's not necessarily to say it's the best one cuz i i agree mm-hmm. with you there's definitely flaws and just uh if this helps in any way this was the first piece that was suggested and worked upon, worked on. Like, oh, okay. um, do we want to? Uh, did you want to stop and talk about Steve Martin first? Because I think he comes in before this point. But I guess we can go back to this celebrities at any point. Steve Martin okay. sucks. Okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Martin's Steve Martin's is fine, but he's not fine here. Yeah, it's just no, Steve Martin being like, annoying. Celebrities in this version, especially tr- ones trying to make bad jokes, are just. It's distracting because nor- in other circumstances, I would like a lot of these. Um, it's like watching a commercial. Yeah. Like, like Again, you know, I mean, we'll I, talk about James Earl Jones when he shows up, but you know, I love me some James Earl Jones, but I'm just like, stop, <laughs> stop putting things on screen that have nothing to do with the animation. Please stop. <laughs> they didn't have. I, I do want. I do. No. I do want to talk about the cameos as we go. So before we get to each sketch, we definitely want to talk about the cameos because I want to talk about best and worst cameo. Well, I, like we can discuss the specifics, but just generally speaking, like this is one of the worst parts of Fantasia 2000. Oh, in the that's original, what I said earlier on. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. In, in the original, it was little things to break up 
the animation, give you a little bit of breathing room, let you kind of coalesce and then move right on almost seamlessly, nothing jarring. You know, you're, you're not taken out of anything. And in this one, it's just, oh, God, why is someone on the screen? Oh, oh, no. Oh, they're trying to do comedy. Uh, make it stop. You don't, you don't come out of one sketch and then have Penn Jillette yelling at you. <laughs> no. <laughs> I he did like a magic trick, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. they have to, because they're celebrities. Make them do the thing. That they are known for. Uh, but uh, on All right, on James Earl Jones, speak. On the the Pines of Rome front, though, um, I will say, I think one of the things I do like about this is, again, uh, I agree with you about the CG, uh, but I think, again, I think it's paced well. And I also, the backgrounds, the stuff that is, you know, traditionally animated is gorgeous. The glaciers and the shadows and the lights and the water, like, it's, it's. It's one of those, and the, and the Aurora Borealis that you yeah. see. Yeah. Just, they put so much work into it, too. Like, you can tell. Mm-hmm. There's but, one, and, and mm-hmm. there are shots that work. Like, when you see the whole, like, pod of whales skimming over the cloud, but they're all at a distance. It's like, okay, it's like the wildebeests in The Lion King. Like, I can accept this beautiful actually, shot. Actually, Which they did use, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, the actually the um let me confirm this yes the technique that was used for the stampede scene was used for this <laughs> that's interesting that's interesting uh, and they were actually being produced at the same time they were being worked on at oh the same that's time. funny yeah. oh my god weird just take the legs away from the wildebeest to make them a little longer boom <laughs> Let, let's not i should let you know this went on from 1990 to like 2000 this was like 10 years um, in the making, right? And you did say uh, this was the first one they really started, like the really one they first really started working on. Correct. So, so and let's not forget during this time they're working on other animated features while this is happening. Yeah, right. Once it became famous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, not to like scoot us along, but any other thoughts about um, Pines of Rome? No. Okay. The eyes look weird. <laughs> the eyes do look weird. Um, what what is after that? One? So the next piece is uh, George Gershwin's uh, Rhapsody in Blue. <gasps> but before we get into that, it's introduced by Quincy Jones, and I think he has the least egregious uh, yeah. cameo. And it, and it makes sense. Quincy Jones is an is a um, musician. I have no problems with him being here and just introducing it. That makes perfect sense for me. But. I, also, I also like that it opens. It, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, some of the the earlier Fantasia because it opens just with a little like jazz riff on a piano. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quincy Jones talking about Gershwin and about the arts, the artist that inspired it. The, this particular segment, and uh, it feels like it's a nice introduction. This is the closest they get to actually succeeding in making a cameo work. So uh, yeah. this was directed by Eric Goldberg, and yes, it was inspired by the uh, the stylistic sketches of cartoon artists or cartoonist, cartoon artist, Jesus Christ, cartoon cartoonist, cartoon artist. It's the same cartoonist, thing. Cartoonist uh, Al Hirschfield, and he actually served as an artistic consultant for this. Piece. Oh, nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Rhapsody in Blue is, I think, the strongest piece in all this, of Fantasia 2000. This is my favorite. It's my favorite, too. I... It's, it makes the most sense of, if you want to do a new Fantasia, this is new. This is fresh. This checks all the boxes of what a new Fantasia, if you should do such a thing, should be. Mm-hmm. It's so, memorable. Hey, it has great animation. Fun. Sorry, go ahead. We go from a, a very abstract piece to just, just open us up, out to a very uh, dramatic 
um, sort of safe space for Fantasia to be in with this this whale um, with this whale short mm-hmm. to something that is sort of maybe a modernization of what Fantasia would be. So just that, just the order, like you can tell the order that they thought it, to put this in is important. Yeah. I'm glad we. I'm glad we're we're in accordance here about Rhapsody in Blue because I I think it's it's not hard for people to ask me. Oh, what's your favorite short from this one? I just I just instantly Rhapsody in Blue. Yeah, it's honestly, so this is like just in general my one of my least favorite art styles. Um, <laughs> that's, and that's like fair. subject matter because it's like urban New York and like fuck that you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it feels like I'm watching um, Madeline or something, you know. You know, um, I, I I mentioned this to Kayla while we were watching this because you know after Fantasia we had the package films. I would say to me this evoked more less Fantasia and more like Melody Time or Make Mine Music, like other shorts that were like they had these short animated feet uh, segments of these package films that still had a strong musical background. I mean, they even cannibalized one from that was going to be in Fantasia uh, to Claire de Lune. Uh, to be Blue Bayou in another short, the one Ooh. about the, the cranes. Yes. Yeah, cranes in a swamp. <laughs> Abby can never escape the cranes. Let your body turn good. I don't, still don't get it. Um, but um, while watching this, because the art style and like the music and the tone, I'm like, this feels like it. It has the right sensibility for Fantasia, but it feels more like almost like all the cats join in. Like this feels like something you would see in Melody Time. I agree. And I that, that's a yeah, compliment. Yes, yes, yes. That's a compliment. Um, it has a lot of the same gags with the construction uh, work and everything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It feels it's more cartoony. It actually feels like a cartoon. Uh, one of the, actually one of the pieces it reminds me of is from the package film uh, from Saludos Amigos, uh, where. Uh, it's a uh, Aquarela de Brazil. Oh, piece. where they introduced uh, Jose. Yeah, that one um, because it begins with um, uh, what looks like an animator painting uh, uh, this watercolor in tune with uh, Aquarela de Brazil, and that's how it feels here too. And, yeah, um, I, I do agree. It feels like a package film type animation, which is nice to see. It, it again, it takes me back. It's so <laughs> to, to, to the shining years of Animusings yes. when we were just like, oh, please let us get through these package films, and now here we are, <laughs> oh, please let us get through the Disney, the Disney dark, dark <laughs> post post Golden Age or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um. But this is this is the closest to to telling a really definite story, and you've actually several definite stories. Yeah, it's got multiple stories in one for sure. Mm-hmm. And they're all simple stories, but yeah. you but they're told fairly well, and they're all kind of interconnected, and I like that. They don't. Yeah, they're told perfectly fine, in my opinion. They're no, they're no more or less than they need to be. The none of them are confusing. Uh, everything just feels well planned, well executed no, yeah, for sure. And I, I like the art style. I know that uh, it's not for everybody, but like I, it, it it does feel like old like Sears catalog uh, artwork and advertisements from the era. It just it feels so immersive and of its time that it's depicting, and I, I really respect and enjoy that. It, oh, yeah. it does feel like 1930s yeah. New York, and it does evoke 1930s New York, like and, with and the subway. And I know, that. but like, why are we idealizing that at the same time? We're idealizing it is something to look at. Why do we idealize fucking Greco-Roman mythology? Because it's cool. Who cares? Is 1930s New York cool? 
Uh, jazz is fucking cool. Okay. Shit. It does. It does. What I do appreciate is that the movie opens in in Harlem. Yeah. Of all places, mm-hmm. and yeah. like we, it's got that Harlem jazz angle. Angle. That's kind of the point. I mean, Gershwin. I mean, they even talk about how Gershwin was this person who took jazz to the concert hall, for for lack of a you know lack of a more elegant ter- elegant term. And I like that it starts with kind of the this everyman, uh, you know, just mm-hmm. a construction worker guy who wants mm-hmm. to go just do jazz, and he's not. He's not like the like the rich snooty couple. He's not like the the or little orphan Annie type girl <laughs> with the rich parents or even the down. Like it's just this guy who's just like I want to do jazz, but I got to work this construction job building a skyscraper. And it's like, um, it's it's good. I like the little moments. I actually think one of the things I really appreciate about it is that every part of it I feel like matches the music really well. Mm-hmm. Yes, like, I think that accomplishes it so good and it had to be more manic and and upbeat because rhapsody in blue is such a a lively piece of music it's it's jazz with a with an orchestral uh classical bent so yeah like, it's it's fun i i like this one a lot um and i like again little moments stand out to me uh like when the the, the down on his luck guy finds the dropped apple almost debates taking it goes to put it back on the cart gets scared off by the cop and then the cop proceeds to eat the apple. And in the back, <laughs> of, my head, in the back of my head, hashtag defund the police. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's reimagine the police now. Reimagine the police. <laughs> Actually, I was making a joke um, with a, the one the one man who's like um, basically under his wife's thumb. And all he wants to do is basically daydream. He's Walter Mitty. That's what he is. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the scene where they're... Um, I do like the ice skating bit. That part's mm-hmm. kind of fun. Uh, the way that that very- the way that 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 rich guy like doofully goes across <laughs> the ice with his arms pumping like makes me laugh every time. Again, another part of New York, Rockefeller Center. It's like mm. yeah, it's iconic. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. And so- don't get me wrong, this is just like it, it's a lovely piece. It's just like I've always been really picky about animation, even when I was like a kid. Like Which certain, is totally yeah. fine. Yeah. Completely understandable. Yeah. Uh-huh. And sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. Like that's like that's just the nature of liking and disliking things. This I think it's awesome awesome piece. It's just like not right. my thing. Stylist it's a stylistic choice and it's it's not your it's not your particular jam. And I yeah. completely respect that. Mm-hmm. Um it's funny because like um what's after this one? Is it the f- This one uh is the Steadfast Tinge Soldier. Uh, which is uh, Piano Concerto Number no. Two, uh, Allegro Opus One Hundred and Two by Dimitri. Uh, I'm going to butcher it again. That's his last name. Shostakovich. Shostakovich. Um, and it's introduced by Bette Midler. <laughs> by the way, every time although- I it's, fun, it's sad, but every time I hear her name, I just picture Oprah yelling it. <laughs> Bette Midler. <laughs> by the way. Um, who else is bothered by the fact she says, oh, here's all these pieces that they had in mind, and there's a Salvador Dali one, and I'm like, where was this? Right. I want to see this. Salvador right. Dali using baseball as a metaphor for life. Like, come on, Disney. You, or you could have done, they had, you know, Ride of the Valkyries would have been really cool, too. I know! Oh. Why didn't they just make this longer and add them? Like, what's what's the point of keeping it short? I don't uh, know, dude. It's so much shorter than, um, the original yeah. Fantasia, so I mean, I mean, there's so much like art that Disney produces. Like, why not just like throw it all into a compendium? 
and sell that, you know, for $60 a pop. <laughs> right? So far, I think the most iconic pro tag in this, this, um, in this collection of shorts is the, uh, the construction worker in, um, in, um, in the, that's the, the last short we just watched. Rhapsody uh, in Blue. Rhapsody in Blue. The um, drummer? The drummer, the drummer who also is a construction worker because he's a simple character design. He's happy. And, uh, I think, uh, that, that, and he's a pro tag. And I think that's like, if any character is going to be remembered, I think it's him. I also argue the, uh, the guy down to his last penny is also very iconic simply because he's very evocative of that, uh, depression era painting of the corner cafe with the people in it. You think you pick up on a, a, a middle-aged, uh, portly man as a child? Well, as... just just because of the, I don't know. I guess looking back, maybe more, and you're an adult longer than you are a child. So yeah, I don't know. Okay, that's just me. <laughs> I can Moving definitely on see to the Bat Midler. Bat Midler. I can say I think that the iconic. Well, I mean, we'll we'll get to that. I'll tell you who I think the I I. I... I so far just, I definitely agree with the drummer, but now we're getting into yet another really story driven one. So yeah, um, this one uh, was directed by Hendel Watoy, uh, same guy who did um, Pines of Rome. Okay, and uh, hence actually, the oh, hence the a lot of CGI again. Um, uh, now with let's uh, with if you don't include um, Pixar, this segment marked the first time the Disney Studio created. Uh, the film's main characters entirely from CGI. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which makes sense. Actually, this is the one time actually I'm not bothered by the CGI because they're toys and they, I mean, they're supposed to look kind of not real or boy toys, uh, not real or superficial. So, yeah. So, yeah, they really played that up to their advantage in a weird, like the, the art style in this one is, um, you can tell it's CGI and the toys do look very plastic, but they're supposed to look plastic. Exactly. Get, but this is like pre-Monsters Inc., pre-Toy Story. And so they don't, they, they actually, you can tell that they, they put effort into making the CGI look less like um, 3D, you know, shaded items with specularity. That they, they look more like, they, they put art, artistic... Uh, effects all over the CGI that make them look very um, textured, even though they do look plastic. Yeah. Um, I always, the steadfast Tim soldier um, has always been, it's an interesting story because um, uh, it is about a character with technically a disability and then him proving himself. But then there's some, some of the endings can be very dark. Like I've seen some steadfast Tim soldier stories where, uh, they all die in the furnace at the end. I mean, it's and- a Hans Christian Andersen story. <laughs> right, right. Um, but for the most part, people tend to be with, or uh, uh, or it usually will end all happily and nobody dies. In this case, oh my gosh, the, the Jack, the Jack basically is thrown into the furnace. This one is so, <laughs> eh, it's there. Okay. Well, there it exists. I, I, I latch on to just about nothing in this one. And I, I don't know if that's the the animation or it's the choice of music. I, like, neither of them are bad. It's just, eh. I, again, I feel, I like, don't I feel like a lot of them are too short. I think one of the reasons Rhapsody in Blue holds up is because it is a longer, it is one of the longer pieces in mm. the, that well, and, and Pines of Rome. 
Well, I think as, as somebody pointed out earlier, it also triggers your um, sort of Looney Tunes uh, melody, melody uh, times, melody, merry melody times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> take my music. You're watching, you're watching, um, you're watching multiple characters. So you have like an ABC plot and they're doing goofy things. And it feels like you're watching like a, a, a Looney Tune. It feels like you're, you know, so, so it, it makes sense to, that one makes sense in, in terms of how to consume it. Right. Now, I, I, but I, I think the, re- the reason I bring it up is because uh, once again, we're back to, I feel like this is fine, but it almost feels again, too short. Uh, another problem. But I, and I, part of it is, has to do with the music they chose, but here's the thing. This is one of those ones where, cause Bette Miller presented, like they wanted to do this one for a while. Uh, they finally found the music to work with it. And to their credit, I think the music they chose is like, uncanny but then again they did kind of work it around the music work the story around the music and i think they did a pretty good job honestly i actually really like this here's another but here's another problem with the steadfast in soldier as well the idea behind being steadfast is basically being like brave or or basically like a wall and as a result he's a passive character like yeah he doesn't brave anything he just stands still as things happen to him uh, throughout this, and it just happens he got ate by a fish that just happened to be bought by the same guy who owned him. Like Fun little nod to the director or to the producer, the, the Ernst shipping or Ernst fisheries. Yeah. <laughs> well, it just shows how overfishing was a problem even back then. <laughs> <laughs> you caught a fish that basically ate a thing that came right out of a sewer pipe. So, yeah. But, I mean... A storm drain, I guess. I mean, but. this is from the original. He, like, of course, he doesn't move or anything. The fish in, in the way. bay are eating the refuse of all the people living in the town. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I mean, I don't know. It's, so, you, but, you are what you eat, right? <laughs> yeah. But as a result, yeah, he's very passive in this. And right. it'd be more interesting if you see him actually try to escape certain things or, you know. It, I, I think the Steadfast Ten Soldier could be done better as a longer piece if you put effort into it. I could actually see it as a legit Disney movie, but mm-hmm. this just doesn't work here. Uh I like the Jack in the Box. I think I, I just as a character design. I like oh, the, yeah. I really I yeah. like the Jack in the Box. Yeah. He reminds me of um I don't remember his name. From Quasimodo the um Oh Frollo. Frollo, Frollo. Yeah. I, as as well the color palette of him. No, not no, not Frollo, the, the, the narrator guy. Oh, Clopin. Oh, Clopin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's the villain. I mean not Clopin. The, the color Rock. palette yeah. reminds me of Frollo, but the um the the look of the character reminds me of Poupon, whatever. Yeah, he's got that. He's got that sneer. Well, well, they both they both have large noses, so and they're both just they're both like jester clown characters. Well, uh, Frollo, Frollo's the the, like deacon or something. No, I mean, yeah, I mean the face, but I mean like Clopin has the palate. Yeah, but both Clopin and Frollo have large noses. That's That's, why I thought of that's okay. That makes sense. Yeah, well, I was saying in that. By the way, that Jack in the Box is a freaking knife sword thing in his box with him did the kid <laughs> <laughs> um also it's really dangerous to have this kid's uh toy area right next to an open wood-burning stove why is there a wood-burning stove in this kid's room it, it's a portal to toy hell <laughs> <laughs> it's foreshadowing for dis uh toy story three. Oh, oh! wonderful
Oh yeah. So anyway, uh, stiff Heston shoulder. It's fine. I lean toward liking it, but it's not super special. But it did introduce me to that piano concerto, which I actually really like. Mm-hmm. Um, who? What's up next? Is it the uh, the next Earl Jones? Oh, so it's the flamingo. One. It is. It's uh, in James Earl Jones comes in. It's whatever. Uh, it's uh, and then this is Carnival of the Animals by Camille Saint Sans. I think it's pronounced. I, I I've always gotten I'm, it wrong. I used to say it Saint Shane's, but it's it's. I think it's pretty. James Earl Jones said it, and I finally heard someone say it out loud. Camille Saint Sans. Sounds and I was like, right. And I'm like, ah, oh, thank you, James. <laughs> <laughs> thank uh, you, Mufasa. Uh, so this is directed by Eric Goldberg, same guy who directed uh, Rhapsody in Blue. Um, uh, for some reason, there's a lot more backstory with this one. Uh, the idea behind um, uh, a flamingo playing with a yo-yo was uh, created actually by animator Joe Grant. But his idea was that the ostriches from the original would play with a yo-yo. Oh, and, like the, the the ballet ostriches. Yes. Okay. And um, actually... One of the reasons this got thought up was because um, Mark Gabriel, who is another animator, uh, while he was working on um, Pocahontas while on his break, would actually play with a yo-yo and actually would do a lot of tricks. And actually, <laughs> so they're like, oh, what if we have someone play with the <laughs> yo-yo? Adorable. Uh, and um, the problem was uh, um, the Disney heads didn't want to bring back any characters with the exception of Sorcerer's Apprentice, which we'll get into later. Um, mm. So they decided to go with flamingos because uh, they also thought they would look more colorful. Um, they visited the LA and San Diego Zoo to like see how San- like flamingos moved and such. I go to the zoo. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to walk into the San Diego Zoo and go, look, look, the flamingos are right fucking there. <laughs> it terrible. Yeah, but they're well. so pretty. Uh, although the, <laughs> they do smell awful, now, though. Now the one cool thing is that um, they used watercolor paintings on heavy bond paper and CGI to create this, which mm. that's actually it's, pretty cool. The CGI, you said there's CGI and everything. I don't see any CGI in in this one. Like, where it, is it? it? This one's more subtle, I think. Like, yeah. I don't. It's more. It's it's one of the it's one of the times when they should be using it as it should be, which is just to enhance it instead of like. Uh, showcase it mm-hmm. right. like it enhances the piece and you, and that, the fact that you don't notice it i think says something mm-hmm. in a positive I'm just where they use it i don't know that's the thing maybe it's on it, that part where they throw the yo-yo way up into the big tree like i wonder if there's like, like a pan and maybe the tree was cg i don't know yeah it's it's probably a lot in the backgrounds and a lot the of the framing devices so simple in this one they're just like two colors well, I, not, not in the color, but in like how the animation is arranged over them. Like it, yeah. it's it's more of a mechanical thing than it is like, oh, I need to draw something pretty. That's my guess. This is two D animation incarnate. I don't see any CG in this. I mean, like yeah. compliments to the staff. <laughs> I love. I love. I actually really like how bright and vibrant this looks, though. I actually enjoy the watercolor it's style. Super so. short too. It's oh, so yeah. short. But I'm a little disappointed that of all the things they could have grabbed from Camille Saint-Saëns, they could have grabbed any other part of, you know, Carnival of the Animals. I mean, everybody knows Aquarium, like, you know, that mm-hmm. that particular haunting piece of music. Hell, they could have done Dance Macabre, and that would have been amazing. Oh, God, that would have been amazing. Not for Flamingos with Yo-Yo, so that'd be <laughs> a little weird to do with Dance Macabre, but even so. Um, Can I point out something super weird? Go sure. For it. The shape of the flamingos reminds me of Has-Been Hotel. A little bit. Ooh. You well, know? Hasman Hotel is 
the Disney influence is so apparent that oh, I would yeah. not be surprised. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it not a bad thing. I love it. That love head it. of the um the the porn star. Uh, <laughs> never mind. Never mind. This is, that's kind of a weird stretch. <laughs> Flamingo thing, I think when I was younger, this was the one that bugged me the most for some reason. And now I don't, I go like, eh, it's a, it's fine. I, I, I like the animation and I like the color and that's about it. So I, many of these are just meh. <laughs> well, a lot yeah. of them are meh. I'm just trying, I, 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 I think I, I tend to look at this movie a little more favorably. I don't know why. I think, no, I, that's I, fair. I think we need your perspective then. I just, I like, I like little things. There's little things I take away from each one. Um, and you know, so far, like Pints of Rome, I enjoyed Rhapsody in Blue. I really enjoyed Sylvester Soldier has bits that I like. And, uh, this is the one that I'm like, okay, I can take away that. I like the colors and I like the, the animation, even if it's a little silly and, but at least, at least it's short and doesn't overstay its welcome. Um, actually this is, uh, one of the ones the reviewers didn't like, but the reason why they said it doesn't fit. Yeah. It's short. And it's like weird that they included it. It's so short. Oh, I mean, even James Earl Jones himself is like, what would you, what would you do if you gave a flamingo or if you give a flamingo a yo-yo or you give a yo-yo to a flock of flamingos? And I think the one bit I laugh, he goes, he just learned, leans away like, who wrote this? And then it just yeah. cut to the... <laughs> cut that to that the wasn't floor. scripted. That was James Earl Jones being legitimately confused. Yeah. <laughs> why, Wait, why am I here again? Flamingos. Yo-yos? Why, you know why, I was Darth Vader, right? Yeah, Darth Vader, he's, he's like, why? Do you want to see my Tonys? <laughs> You are my son and the one true king. Uh, Am I not playing a leader or king in this scene? (laughs) (laughs) Then why am I here? Uh, Actually, here's what I I think the piece is good. I just don't think it fits. I agree. Thinking about it now, if this were in a package film, we wouldn't, we would just think it's actually really nice in all. Also, I mean, like it just makes the question stronger and stronger. Cause I just looked it up. The first Fantasia is what? 126 minutes. Yeah, it's yeah. a very long film. Why the fuck is this only an hour? One, why does it not have fucking Dolly in it? Two, <laughs> what if they just stuff this like a turkey? Like, I don't understand. It doesn't even, it feels longer than an hour because I just keep questioning the decisions made. And I, I don't know, dude. Fantasia, the original, just blows by for me. I, I don't know. Y- you know what I think? Uh, the reason is, and like I said before, I think they did it because they know the original Fantasia was so long. And let's not forget, original Fantasia flopped. So I think they're trying to make it more palatable for modern audiences. And remember, it's 2000 uh, slash early late 90s that they were right. Writing. But what about like senses of value? Like that was a big thing in 2000. I, I don't know. I don't know. So the next short is actually <laughs> from Fantasia, the original, and it's just the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which we already uh, talked about. And this was introduced by Penn and Teller, <laughs> two famous magicians. I want to see them live, in all honesty. like Magicians, can... not sorcerers? The Magician's Apprentice is well, different. Well, Penn and Teller the, are... The Magician's mag- Apprentice is, a, uh, is from, is, is from uh, C.S. Lewis. So. Well, okay, Penn and Teller are magicians that perform in las vegas i mean they've done a bunch of others shit there are some cute rabbits they have some cute rabbits that they pull they out. do but um also penn and teller they're if you see some of their shorts they're very funny individuals oh they are <laughs> but it is a little bit jarring in a fantasia thing like i said earlier pendulette is suddenly there yelling at you yeah about magic and what real magic is um when in doubt just put in the thing from the first one 
because you have nothing else, apparently. They, they did try to justify it, kind of like you said earlier, Kayla, by, by saying, oh, yeah, well, but the idea was that we would always pull out a feature from a previ- the previous version of Fantasia, just to remind you. So had this continued, <laughs> we probably would have seen one from Fantasia 2000 in a later Fantasia. Yeah, uh, but and they- the idea, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say the idea as well is that not everybody owned everything at this point and media, media wasn't so freely shared. So like this, like getting a hold and having this, it would have been um, still something of value. You True. Know? Not to mention this is, probably, the VHS this is an, of Fantasia Bolt. Think of it this way. This is not how this is an opportunity for people to see the Sorcerer's Apprentice, Apprentice on an IMAX screen. That's true. That, it's kind of yeah. like there's some films I want to see on IMAX, but you but, should... uh, that's true. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay, but they're more like action films. I want to see Twister on IMAX. Can you imagine? <laughs> like that movie is awful, but I want to see. Like I, I want to be like, whoa! I feel like I'm an actual Twister, man. Right. That, like that's a re- that's the only reason that movie should exist. Um. Um. That I, I mean, same with Oh Top Gun. Could you imagine Top Gun that in would be IMAX? Sick. Oh yeah, like you fucking sick. Could you imagine Sharknado on IMAX? Oh, I actually, you know what? Actually, (laughs) it would be terrible. It would be a waste. It'd be terrible. If you're if you're gonna see any, okay, I think Sorcerer's Apprentice is still a good choice because it's iconic, and I get that they're kind of bookending this to like, or they're not bookending. But you got this is gonna lead into the Donald one later. But um, you got a good point though because seeing Sorcerer's Apprentice on the IMAX, especially since that. The film itself is big, like especially when he has that dream sequence with the uh, waves crashing. Imagine, like, uh, yeah, I, I, that's that. one of the things I remember mm-hmm. in the theater being like, "Yes, I get to see this on the big screen." This is something I watched on like a tiny TV screen in the bonus room of our house on VHS at night, and sometimes would you know jump up on our you know on the couch and pretend I was you know pointing out stars and calling waves right along with Mickey because I was a I was four. Now, um, reviewers had a problem with this. And the main problem is that they could not understand why the quality was the exact same as it was in 1940 <laughs> and why didn't they improve upon it so it could actually be something kind of like, like use the same thing, just improve the quality of it. How do you improve something? You, you don't improve perfection? No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. It, Are you talking about the the general like the the film resolution? Yeah, the film the resolution. resolution. The film okay. resolution. Because it's true. If you watch it, it, it actually is uh, exactly like the one as it was shown in 1940. And then if you see later films, you it it is a uh, or uh, later reinterpretations are not reinterpretations. There's a better word. Uh, re-releases. 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 They do improve upon the animation, make it much more clear and more um, uh, crisp. That's not shown in this film mm-hmm. and it i think i could understand them saying yeah why didn't you do that if you're gonna re-release it give us at least something a little new rather than just the same thing i get that but at the same time yeah i mean yeah i i kind of i can agree there yeah but it, uh but but could you imagine i mean the i think the one disappointment is that they could have done any fantasia short and like and sorcerer's apprentice is iconic but imagine seeing ba- night on bald mountain yeah. on an imax screen Imagine right? seeing, you know, the, the army of ghosts flying across and Chernabog on top of the mountain in uh, just completely filling your entire vision. Like, oh, man. Oh, I love that short. I love that segment so, 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 so much. 
or even even the whole thing like that bleeding into Ave Maria like oh my gosh uh, so you a- just want to see Fantasia on IMAX <laughs> all this makes you want to do is see I, I, Fantasia the original yeah. the big screen yeah that'd be, that'd be the amazing. big big screen just watch both of you weep. <laughs> oh man, well, I would. We're we're okay. So my question, I, question. I mean, there's not a ton to talk about with this one, just because we've talked about it before, right? It's a sorcerer. We can Empire. move on. Yeah, although it is distracting when you get the exact same ending with Mickey coming up to, uh, you know, Ch- uh, Tchaikovsky. No, uh, well, he start. Yeah, he goes, to- but it's clearly Wayne Allwine's voice in now. Yeah. Uh, but then it's he approaches uh, James Levine, who is uh, the composer. Right, but it's just weird because like they have him in silhouette, and they just take the exact same thing from the end of the original. And you know, um, Tchaikovsky by this point, I think, is dead. Yes. So yeah, <laughs> it's kind of awkward. What, what's the name of the song in Sorcerer's Apprentice again? Uh, it's Sorcerer's Apprentice. Actually, it's an original piece by uh, Paul uh, Dukas. It's just interesting because I'm on the Wikipedia page, and they don't include it. They have seven segments, and it jumps from. Piano Concerto Number Two to Carnival of the Animals to Pomp and Circumstance, and it doesn't show. If, if that. you scroll, if you yeah. scroll down to programs, oh programs, go to the programs. It'll show that. Oh, okay. They're, they're, you're, it's talking about the, uh, the production and um. Oh, and, production. Okay. All right. Yeah. So once you go to programs, it'll say that. So now it's Donald's time to shine because they needed another they needed yeah. to have okay. another appre- um, Donald be another apprentice cuz hey we did the sorcerer's apprentice let's have Noah's arc and let's have Donald be Noah's Donald and Daisy be in it and as Noah's apprentices so, so what what if, what if Donald got his ass beat again <laughs> what if there was a, what if both Donald and Daisy thought the other had died and there was perpetual heartbreak throughout this <laughs> So the pe- my favorite part, sorry, my favorite part from this scene is when the duck walks by and then, then Donald stares at the screen. I love that bit. That part, I actually really genuinely thought that part was funny. I'm with it you. It was hilarious. Because yeah. that's the first thing you wonder when you see Donald, what, playing Moses's son to put everybody on the fucking ark? Yeah. Why is, okay, uh, I'm gonna. I want to discuss the song, but first, why does Noah need an apprentice, or why isn't? I because well, when I remember as a kid, I thought just Donald was Noah. That I mean, that that was clear to me. Was that, like, was, that, that, was, that was my impression too, honestly. But Donald no, was, I remember. He, he's Noah's apprentice. Why is? I know it's probably to reference like the Sorcerer's Apprentice, but why? There's Maybe it would right. be too blasphemous to have Donald be Noah. <laughs> Yes, like, that, that might be part of it. But the I other thing, I want to see, see Bible stories, but with the Disney characters playing iconic roles. Goofy needs to be Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, Goofy on the cross. Like, <laughs> I feel like that's a creepy pasta in waiting. <sighs> by the way, I'm, I'm going to okay. <laughs> So the song is that's used for this is Pomp and Circumstance, Marches 1, 2, 3, and 4 by Edward Elgar. I should let you know I hate this piece with a burning passion. It's and just I, bewildering. No, no, no. The reason I hate thing. it so much is um, I've... Uh, because it's the graduation song. I, okay. I despise graduation music with yeah. a passion. And I... Okay. Any person who knows this, anyone who's graduated from high school and all that, college, and or has siblings, 
who have graduated despises this song. And the reason why is because you sit there for an hour and I can't remember which march it is. I, uh, but, do, dude, do, 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 I, but do. I don't know if it's a second, third, whatever the heck. You, you want to know what's worse is having to play it. No. At your own graduation. No. Yep. I had and, to do okay. that in middle school. But yeah, then, what would you play? Clarinet. Mm. Oh no. And it, but here's the thing. It goes on repeat. It's, it's not even the whole hour. piece. It's just yeah. that part of the march. For an hour. It's the fucking and elevator music of the schooling system. Here is somebody telling you, no, no, guys. Pomp and circumstance is actually good. Trust me. Let oh. me prove it to you. And you're it's like, good. no, still sucks. Nope, I still hate it. I still hate it. But I just hate... I like how J- even uh, you know James Levine, he's all like, no, no, no. People always associate with graduation, but it was written for any solemn event. And, no, and usually people don't hear the whole thing. So we're going to show you the whole thing. Yeah, mm. but uh, okay. Um, it might have been more effective if they actually cut out the, the, the graduation part. You see, like, water torture is only one of a series of tortures. So if we do all the tortures, <laughs> you'll appreciate the torture. <laughs> oh, no, it could have been worse, by the way. It, it could, could have been worse? Hold on. So Michael Eisner suggested a segment set to um, pomp, and circumstance, uh, pomp and Circumstance after attending his son Eric's high school graduation. Shocking. Uh, oh, no. So they actually, they're like, wait, wait, guys, this isn't just for graduation, but their inspiration came from a graduation <laughs> as usual michael uh, dictates everything no 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 it, there, no it could have been worse so the idea the story idea was all of the classic characters this includes disney princesses and stuff like that marching in a wedding procession carrying their future babies what yeah what the fuck what <laughs> i'm glad that was shot down no roy and the animators hated it good ew but they kept branding for a sec, for a split second, I thought you said it was Noah's Ark, but instead of two of every animal, it was two of every Disney character. <laughs> yeah, like that, I imagine would present problems for um for canon in the future. But let's not go there. Yeah, but <laughs> only two of the seven dwarves can come onto the Ark. But, but look, I it's like the animation is fine. It's whatever. But I. Maybe it's just me. I just hate pomp and circumstance with a burning passion. It, 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 it's it, it was so bad that no matter what whatever happens with the short, it doesn't matter because it's playing pomp and circumstance. I want to die. It's an earworm to us, right? So it's not fun to have it in your head. No. And uh, no, there was a actually um, when I graduated uh, from uh, with my master's, um, all of my coworkers were like. Aren't you good? Are you going to attend your graduation? I'm like, no. Why would I do that? You're going to play it's, pomp and circus just now. because of the music. No, I well, um, I've already been through a bunch of graduations already. Like my sisters and um, like like oh. the high schools and then I, colleges and stuff like that. So it's like after a certain point, it's like, do I really want to sit there nope. for hours in a sweaty? Uh, in a sweaty. Are you um, proud of the fact you graduated? I mean, come on. Oh, no, I'm extreme. I'm extremely proud. I'm glad I have my master's degree. It's hanging proudly on my wall right now. Yeah. But instead of going to my graduation, I threw a graduation party instead, and that was yeah. so much better. Because I because <laughs> I, I had beer and and cookies and ice and cream. Family, and you don't have to celebrate with like a thousand people you don't know. No, I <laughs> celebrate with people I actually liked instead of like you know listening to pompous circumstance for an hour. 
mm-hmm. as people talk about, here's what your future lies ahead. I'm like, I already have a full-time job. I'm just glad I'm done with this. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Seriously. <sighs> but yeah. This okay, so we're talking about the song and not about the animation so far. Yeah, because the animation's whatever. <laughs> Again, it's there. Cool. It's there. The dragons are laughing. They didn't get on the boat. Old joke. That was an old uh, joke. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, we already talked about the two bits that stick out. Uh, the three bits that stick out. Donald and uh, Donald and Daisy having all the near misses ever, which is kind of irritating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the duck joke, which is great. The actually mm-hmm. like funny joke. And then the, yeah, all the mythical animals just going, ha ha. And then. Honestly, this well, is my, this is my favorite. That, okay. Yeah. Yeah, this is my least favorite. And because the story, it's like, the story's not that great. It's Noah's Ark. Who cares? And not only that, it's it's right after Sorcerer's Apprentice, which is beautiful. Right. And it's just like, you just watch Sorcerer's Apprentice and now you're just watching a really terrible copy mm-hmm. with a really terrible song. Mm-hmm. Why are we sitting through this? Mm-hmm. I, th- this feels longer than it really is. <laughs> but I, this is like iconic with the problems of of this story too i would argue because it's subject matter that you've seen before Noah's Ark, donald duck marrying the two doesn't really make it special mm-hmm. um the art is okay there's nothing wrong with it but there's nothing like amazing that you know you have to remember this is gonna stand the test of time for a thousand years yeah and it's like this i, I would say this is like iconic with the problem of because why you don't remember this is because you're like yeah okay we get it Again, this and Beethoven's Fifth at the beginning are endemic of the problem with this uh, with mm-hmm. uh, page two thousand, and why it doesn't have a, a staying power. Mm-hmm. Just bewildering, baffling decisions that don't make any sense. Not they necessarily really wrong, but not necessarily adding anything new. When the whole point of Fantasia is to add story, add texture, add add stuff that will sort of titillate the mind. And this is like not yes. doing that. Or at least it's not doing that for me in 2020. That's all I can say. Yeah. 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 Uh, that said though, we have one more, we have one more piece. It's introduced by Angela Lansbury. It's. Oh, Angela Lansbury. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm to her for a couple different reasons. First of all, Bedknobs and Broomsticks is amazing. <laughs> it is good. I we, love, we love Bedknobs and Broomsticks. And I'm sure you guys talked about that already, didn't you? We, we did. did. Okay. I'm and sorry, we could talk no, about no. it again. No. Uh, well, do we want to just pivot the rest of this to talking about Bedknobs and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But anyways, let's, my let's, let's, turn, let's tweak this discussion. Now we're going to hear all of Paprika's thoughts on Bedknobs no, and Broomsticks. No, no, no. And my parents used to watch a Murder, She Wrote when I was younger. But like, oh, yeah. whatever. And well, we were what we were joking about was I, I paused it at something. I, I paused it because we were getting up to do something, and I look at the screen, and it's one of those moments where you pause it, and she's just got the weirdest look on her face because she's mid sentence. And all of a sudden, in my head, I just started hearing the murder she wrote theme, and I'm like, this could be a scene from like remember that time Jessica Fletcher uh, introduced a thing because it, but she was secretly undercover looking into a murder. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, it, it's, this is also, again, kind of like with, uh, um, oh my God, uh, Quincy Jones, Quincy. Yeah. Quincy Jones. Kind of like with Quincy Jones. Uh, this is also not a jarring cameo. Like no. There, well, and she's hmm. just presenting. Is it because she can sing or is it because she's been in Disney movies? Like Steve oh. Martin for some reason is right out, but Angela Lansbury she doesn't. She's not really a classical musician, but she doesn't really need to be. I, I think it's also it maybe the fact 
she is technically a Disney legend. I, not only just Bev Knobs and Broomsticks, but she is the voice of Mrs. Potts. And, mm, that's true. Okay. Um, so, and there's also a calmness about her. And I yeah. think that it's the same thing with Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones, when he's talking about it, is very calm when he talks about it. She's, she's the right kind of celebrity to have on. Is what you're there's, saying. there's a reverence to her presentation that, again, is less uh, obtrusive. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. Steve Martin constantly going, I got to do a joke here. Yeah. Shut up. Or Pendulette yelling at you about magic. <laughs> this, is, this is Fantasia. What are you and, doing? Yeah. Why, why do they have, like, Penn and Teller makes absolutely no sense. Have Penn and Teller even been in a Disney movie? No. No. No, but that would be hilarious. <laughs> I would, I <laughs> would watch the heck out of it. As actual, yeah. like, voice parts, that would be great. I can see them doing like a Tulio Miguel or Timon and Pumbaa thing. Or... Well, Teller doesn't talk, and that's part of the gimmick. So I don't know yeah. how that would work. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the thing. Just like, just like have a silent character and just credit it as Teller. <laughs> Which is funny because he actually does talk. Like, the, like that's yeah. just part of the gimmick. He can talk. Oh yeah, right? yeah. Um, um, but yeah, no, I, I think I think she does a good job with this, and we definitely get like this is the. <sighs> Again, since we know they're aping the formula of Fantasia, this is the bald mountain of our... Uh, there's a reason. So this is Firebird Suite 1919 version by Igor Stravinsky. And um, Roy Disney wanted a piece that was emotionally equivalent to Night on Bald Mountain and Ava Maria. And he thought of the idea um, when this... So let's not forget, uh, the idea kind of came about in 1983, and then they started working on it. Uh he, uh, one of the things that did happen in recent time was that Mount St. Helens, um, erupted in 1980. That's right. And, um, remembering like that destruction and all that because of it kind of inspired this, uh, I, I, which is fascinating to me because, um, uh, my mom was there when, uh, Mount St. Helens erupted. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. She actually had, uh, she has, she actually saw the ash, uh surrounding uh like their their home That's and dangerous. actually oh yeah uh i think she, if i recall she and I, i've seen it before she had the ash from mount st helens in her jar in like in a jar that she had oh wow yeah so jar um, of volcanic ash yeah cool fact so nice uh because it, it was in washington so yeah that makes sense. yeah she wasn't terribly far from her mm-hmm. uh anyway um uh this was directed actually by uh french twins paul and Gaetan, uh, Brizzy. Uh, who are from Disney's Paris studio. Uh, and this piece is gorgeous. Let's just be honest here. It's gorgeous. It's no, too it's short. Great. It's too short. So a lot of the previous pieces, um, like barring the first two, are are fitting some sort of art style, whether you have the classic Disney art style, this sort of jazz art style, uh, what's the other one? The, the Tin Soldier 3D art style. And it's mm-hmm. like the art styles prevail. And so things can't really be pretty in them. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they're they supposed to be caricatures. They're supposed to have personality. This one doesn't really fit because it's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. You love it the most. It's not trying to be anything other, you know, mm-hmm. other than watercolor. Like, is this trying to fit into any sort of artistic uh, archetype? Not to me. No. I don't think I, it is. Not that I can see. Um, okay. This is the this is kind of the co- the collective favorite, though, right? This, yeah, this piece? all the reviewers yeah. are praising this. I mean, right. I mean even among like, us, too. 
I mean, this this also, I, I there has to have been so much corporate talk over this movie because if they just made 10 different versions of this, they would have had a much better movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this yeah. art style. Yeah. Well, to the what the pin I put in earlier, I want to pull out the uh, the nature spirit who the the nature goddess or whatever that's in this movie she, that goes unnamed. This is the most iconic character in the movie to me. Oh, okay, okay, I see you, what you're saying. You see her in a lot of the promotional material for this. Mm-hmm. I think she's got the best character design. She, you follow her. She's got a um, like like I feel like there was effort put into her and presenting her and making her kind of the face of this movie. Sure. And I'm going to disagree with you and I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Um, how do I put this? You're wrong. <laughs> how do I put this? Are you going to Jonathan breaks me here? You're wrong. No, this, this is up. your finale. Um, this is the thing that you hide until you show it. It's the bombastic thing at the end. You don't put that at the somewhere where everyone can see it first. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes that does make sense. So if you know, if I were some sort of ad executive marketing guru, which I am clearly not, um, that's I would hide this shit and have it be the surprise in the movie. That little that little uh, nugget of caramel in the middle of the truffle. Like I wouldn't show the shit at all. And ironically, he would use Donald Duck as Noah's apprentice as the uh, <laughs> the lead image. <laughs> Uh, kind of like Sorcerer Mickey in the original. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Here's here's what I think. I think um, in the beginning, yeah, I think she was hidden in uh, marketing material. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until after the movie came out and reviewers were like, oh, no, this is the best one. I think they were like, eh, we should push her more often than not. And I think that's what happened. Well, I, think- it, it, this, I mean, at the end, I'm sure they're like, quick, throw we got. <laughs> 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 oh the reviewers liked her okay like this film yeah totally okay exactly. yeah so i think the problem with this short th- is that there's not a lot of problems with this short and we j- it leaves us going yes yes why isn't there more well the big problem with this is that clearly somebody was clued in and knew what the f- what people like actually fucking want and that only translated to what 10 minutes of the entire movie I don't think this one's even 10 minutes. It's like five. It's not oh very long. And that's yeah. my problem with it. Yeah. Because, because from, because it, it's not, I don't think it's paced very well. I don't think it's paced very well at all. I think no. it goes too fast. Yeah. I think too much happens and you don't get enough of an emotional connection, despite the fact that it really do, tries hard to do it with the time it has. Like mm-hmm. I realize we're jumping around this one a little bit, but the moment when, the elk who's been the constant companion of this, uh, this forest spirit, the sort of the awakening of her. Who find is Bambi. Her, huh? Yeah. yeah. Bambi in my head cannon. Yeah. Your mother. That's what happened after Bambi. He kind of just wandered around. <laughs> he comes up and, you know, he finds her like what's left of her as a wisp in the ash. And I love that close up on her where her, her form is just kind of flaking and peeling away like she's ash in the wind. And I love that shot. And I'm like, and there is, and you feel for her in that moment, I feel like. But the problem is I want to feel for her more, but everything happened so fast. She woke up, she started to spread spring around. Spring would not go up on this volcano, goes into the volcano, wakes up the firebird. Firebird wrecks everything and then is gone and we don't get, a payoff with that at all is just gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she makes spring come back again. If this were paced better and went by slower, I think 
uh, it would have been even more powerful. Like, could you imagine, like, feeling the fear she felt or the nervousness of, like, going into this volcano if it was slowed down and being like, what's this? And But you still keep going because there's a curiosity sake to it. Or maybe getting, uh, taking longer to see all, like, what other things she could have done to make nature come to life. I mean, mm-hmm. there's... There, there's so much you could have done or maybe mm-hmm. even make the the pain a little bit longer of like her sadness of realizing she's lost everything and it's only later on that it's like there's one thing and left and then i realize they're to a degree they're a little bit slaves to the music but there are moments that they could have kept and moments they could have pared down the thing know, about and- music it's being conducted you have the ability to slow it down that's well true. also and that kind of move us on to a big question here was this the best selection of music they could have done no in my opinion there's so like why do we have to still do if you're updating fantasia should it not just be a bunch of new music more modern music more experimental which is which is why rhapsody in blue works so well with yeah like a jazz piece awesome fantasia one works so well because that was the music you know of yesteryear of the time but by 2000 music has transformed so much i would do so many options yeah but i would but this is fantasia and fantasia the least the first one lauded itself for the classical compositions um but but um, why do that again the idea of fantasia was to be this uh, pinnacle of culture and it's 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 a weird space to be in because you're making a sequel, but you have no original storyline. It's it's a very weird place to be for sure. But uh, I, mm-hmm. uh, there is one piece though. I, I let's not forget, Sorcerer's Apprentice was an original piece written yeah. for Fantasia. Mm-hmm. They could have done that here. They could have written their own True. piece of music for this um, movie. Like sure, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. But should well, every- they did. They I- showed the Sorcerer's Apprentice <laughs> again. <laughs> but I would like definitely say that, like, I would like to see classic, um, classic music to really awesome badass animations. Like that's we have that. It's called Fantasia. <laughs> sure, but like exactly. So I, I, I want more fast food. Give me more. <laughs> well, and that's what I would want to avoid with if I had to remake fan not remake if I had to do another Fantasia, which I wouldn't because Fantasia is perfect; doesn't need to be changed. Like I, I linked a a song in uh, the Discord before this discussion as like if I had to choose a song to put in Fantasia two thousand, it'd be that one. The one, oh, that that's, one yeah, that's yeah. a really good piece. That's it's, quite the journey. It's dynamic. It's exciting. It's modern enough for audiences to like be able to keep track and not fall asleep, but to still be evocative of classical and jazz music. Oh, we don't get really anything like that other than Rhapsody and Blue. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that you're right, but I think if we do too, like if, if we are in that board with, with Katzenberger and all the rest of those weirdos, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I would say that you should do a mix. Like, definitely don't, uh, you know, because if you just do all of one or the other, everyone will be pissed off. But if you do a mix, you're safe. Everyone was pissed off at the first one. Like, you have to take these plunges. This, you make something truly yeah, good to stand the test of time. Kayla told us, right? This movie, this movie, uh, 
was remade after the Fantasia did well in the modern era, not in the 1940s. So let's take the modern era and like push the fact that it didn't do well, you know, back in the 1940s and put that on a plate and put it aside. It did well now. That's what's important. So the audience has an appetite now for the for the uh, themes that are in Fantasia. So if that's going on, like then that I think that's perfectly fine to 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 uh, make these decisions based on, not just the fact that it failed originally. Well, there's another tricky thing about that too is that this happened in 1990. Let's not forget Fantasia was re-released in 19. 19- 90 it -hmm. took 10 more years also to release this film i don't know what the general public's perception of fantasia was at that time i know Mm -hmm. it was like 1990 they were all like all over it but then they waited way too long yeah yeah and we don't have any information on why they waited really do we uh fucking ever it, well, it, the well, it, the reason why it, why it took so long is because they had to do a lot more research on the music and trying to find the musical pieces. They and they were working on other projects. Yeah, this what? was something. This was something they were kind of doing in the background. Again, it was Roy Disney's baby. While other while they were also working on uh, Pocahontas, um, Lion King, all these other films from 1990 to 2000. 1990 was around the time like when. Uh, Aladdin, or, or sorry, uh, Rescuers Down Under came out, and they're working on Aladdin, and then um, uh, Beauty, no, no, Beauty and the Beast, then Aladdin, then um, oh my goodness, it's it's just so like what, oh, what, what you're telling me is that all head after head, sure, yeah, the studio is working on multiple movies at once. Once is nothing new, but what you're also telling me is that the studios also decided that those other movies were priority over this. Correct, and Which especially means that they just they didn't have the they didn't really care to do this right. Uh, they did and they didn't because Roy, Roy cared to do it. Right. Roy cared to do it. Let's not forget this is Roy Disney's baby. Roy Disney is the nephew of Walt Disney. You can't really say no to the nephew of Walt Disney. But also remember, Jeffrey Katzenberg was um, head of the animation studios at this time as well. And he was usually the one that had the final say on everything. This was the guy you had to impress. And he had no desire to work on this film. Mm-hmm. Sideline it, sideline it, mm-hmm. sideline it. And I he can't was actually- really blame him either. Like, oh, another Fantasia in the midst of everything else we're doing? Mm. Like, eh? He, well, he well, he was not. He's interesting. He he's tasting how things should go as very and like all of that aside. If you had approached me and said, "Should we do another Fantasia right now?" I'd be like, "Why? No. Why would I, we need to do that?" I have no, I have no kindness or sympathy in my heart anymore for Jeffrey Katzenberg. So you know, <laughs> well, try, you know as much I, as I agree to a degree, you know that there maybe necessarily shouldn't have been another Fantasia. I'm. What we or at the very least we got something interesting, but I I I'm I gotta disagree with Jeffrey. I think if you're gonna go do it, just either don't do it at all or do it really well. So the Jeffrey Katzenberg was the guy who also said, you know what, Pocahontas is the one that's gonna do well. Get the whole A team on Pocahontas. Whoever wants to do Lion King, whatever. You guys are the B team. You guys are the lower class. And then Pocahontas does terribly and Lion King makes almost a billion dollars. Right. So even the B teams could crank out something better well, than I mean, Fantasia. Let's be honest. Like, 
the the cameos and the the need for computer graphics. Um, it's just so damn. That might that's that might be Katzenberg, couldn't it? No, no, no. Katzenberg had nothing to do with this. It had absolutely nothing to do with this. He didn't go. Well, I'll release your movie if you did this, this, and this. Well, uh, he also left um, a few years before this was released. Okay, all right, yeah. So, so and that get, just. I think that just adds to the fact that Fantasia 2000 just looks so con- contextually speaking, it's so strange. It's so out of left field. The mm-hmm. matrix came out a year before this. Like the world was so different as far as taste go, even for kids, mm-hmm. you know, it just, it just, it does not even, fit. Even, it's even when it baked, dropped, it's weird. Even when it dropped, like you, you saw the commercials and went, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'd probably see that at some point, maybe. Yeah, it's Disney. Okay. <laughs> Nothing about it get, get, like grabs you, at least for me. I, I don't know. I, I, I still have some some. Oh, in my mind, there's still some positive takeaways. I think sure. Fantasia is great for like eight and under. That's what I think. Okay. I you think Fantasia 2000. I think this is just the the Fantasia idea in general of doing these cartoon shorts to classical music. Or updated class, whatever, um, is an idea, you know, because parents think uh, your baby will be smarter if you play it classical music while it it sleeps. That's why... I I would disagree. I think Fantasia, the first one, has such broad appeal across all age ranges because of how well it's done. I think there is something in there for absolutely everybody. Fantasia 2000... Yeah, I would agree. That's kind of like put it on in school for people to watch because ain't no one else really showing up for it. You know what I feel like it is? It feels like an add-on. It doesn't really feel like a movie. It feels like an it's add-on. DLC for it, it, yeah, it, it yeah. feels yeah. like DVD power. extras. <laughs> it, it doesn't feel like much of a movie. Like I, I, I wonder how many people got to the end and went, "That's it?" Question mark. Well, I definitely that, feel that way after the Firebird. It sucks because, like, you can tell people worked hard on this. Like, yeah. so many oh, yeah. movies I don't like. It's like, I don't want to talk anybody's hard work down. But just the creative decisions are so strange and you know, ill-planned. Gosh, you know what would have been great is if we got Don Bluth to work on Fantasia or something like that. Ooh. That'd be amazing. Because I'm thinking about the beginning of Land Before Time. That opening scene and just the music and the beautiful animation, it would just fit so well into yeah. this. Yeah, we had Don Bluth animating over dubstep. That would be. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the one issue too, though. Uh, so Don Bluth during the eighties was at his peak. He was mm-hmm. making some gorgeous animation. Nineties Bluth. Mm, this was. What did he make in the nineties? Rocket, rocket doodle. doodle and I love rocket doodle. The pebble and the penguin, right. and a I... troll in Central Park, and Thumbelina. So all of those movies you just listed, even though they're not hits, I there's something endearing about all of them. I do like ro- I do not, like rocket doodle. You know, he did do Anastasia at that time too. Anastasia is pretty good though. And, I like um, rocket doodle. The owls I... in rocket doodle are terrifying. <laughs> Tweedledee, Tweedledee. Um, well, that's for that's for way later in Animusings. But um, I feel like we've come to the end, and we we've mostly talked about the weird feelings about this, and didn't even talk about Firebird that much. But there's not 
Yeah, well, I mean, talk about. we said it looks great. The animation's gorgeous. The character designs are, are awesome. The Firebird is well, phenomenal looking. Can I say one other thing about it? Yeah. Um, it reminds me the most of Miyazaki, of all things. Ooh. I can see that. Yeah. There's a Princess Mononoke. You get the forest spirit. Like, the the elk and the, um, the, the, the green lady, Mother Nature, you combine them together, I feel like, and you get the forest spirit from Miyazaki. Which is cool. If, and if it was Miyazaki, we'd be singing a different tune. <laughs> so, uh, fun fact. Um, apparently, uh, so Miyazaki was um, interviewed, and uh, he did not like Fantasia 2000. <laughs> <laughs> so it says here, Miyazaki replied uh, in Japanese, terrible, really terrible. <laughs> what the fuck are these whales? What? No. <laughs> but you have to wonder if he even made it to the end. I could see I could see Miyazaki turning it off and just walking out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I could see Miyazaki packing his bags and uh, moving away. The way it was translated was Mr. Miyazaki finds the animation very unusual and very quote unquote interesting. Mm-hmm. And then oh, the other question I have about this, because it, it also gives me some um, some vague um, um, c- uh, connections to Moana with the volcano. Mm. Yeah, and I wonder. Oh, you mean the kind of You mean like the forest, the the forest spirit, kind of seeming very similar to uh, uh, Tafiti? Yes, yes. Yeah, I and- actually, I can totally see that. You can have mm-hmm. elements of both in there, yeah. I mean, to mm-hmm. be fair, Disney Disney designs are shared. Like, you look at the Donald Duck short, and you look at the elephants. I'm like, oh, those are, those are the like same elephants that you'd see in totally. Tarzan, and before that, the Jungle Book. Totally, yeah. So, it's all recycled. There's a there's yeah, a there's a Disney it. design aesthetic even moving into the CG. And yeah, actually, when I saw the Forest Spirit, I was like, I'm getting Tafiti vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just I because I, I know that um. Moana is the one where they actually took uh, the the Hawaiian couple, the famous one, um, and and used their character models uh, or, or character as the model for the the Happy Volcano and and uh, oh, oh, yeah. oh that was the short they did before that uh, lava lava oh that was a short okay never yeah. mind Sorry. I think it was a short before a different one but I mm-hmm. don't remember for sure I just know that I was a really good short yeah <laughs> that was an amazing short okay I'm mixing things up. No, it's, it's all, all good. good. Wow, we haven't gotten to Moana yet, so I'm like, I don't know the history yet. Don't no, ask. No, I just, I just know that I remember Tafiti and the, you know, island spirit, and I'm like, oh yeah, she does kind of yeah. look like this nature goddess. With the exception, oh. I, although the, the uh, oh. I, I do know quite a bit about um, the shiny song from Moana, and that's just because I'm a fan of Flight of the Concord. So uh, <laughs> I, just, I know I when I heard that I'm like I need to know everything about this song right right this second. Uh anyway. Anyway, um but even, like um I'm trying to look up the shape of the volcano in Moana cuz um you know before... for our audio podcast to show people. No, never mind. <laughs> no, never mind, it doesn't we can, matter. We can cut it out. That's fair. Oh my. Um I think uh, I think we're kind of in the, the home stretch here, and um, yeah. with this one, there's not really much more to say. We talked about the whole thing. It doesn't hold a candle to the original Fantasia, and no one. I don't think anybody ever said that it would. Like no. there's that Fantasia is such a tough act to follow in a lot of ways. Uh, do I commend the you know animators? Do I commend Roy for trying? Sure. Did they fall short? Yes, but I don't think they fell short enough that there's not parts that I 
like and I actually think are holds true to kind of the spirit of Fantasia even if other parts feel very like this is what you're supposed to do in a Fantasia and we just do it instead of you know trying to be experimental and do new things which Mm -hmm. is why I think you know uh, for feeling like a really beautiful short, uh, the Firebird is one of the strongest ones for for doing something new and different um, and fun. Um, Rhapsody in Blue is my my actual mm-hmm. favorite, and I think that the three my three favorites personally are are uh, Rhapsody in Blue, Firebird, and actually Steadfast in Soldier. That's just me though. Fant- the original Fantasia is a sumptuous feast. Fantasia 2000 is a box of chocolates of which two you liked and the rest you took a bite out of and went, mm, nah, I'm okay. <laughs> I remember two really nice chocolates out of that box, but I ain't buying that again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, You want to go back to these candies and pick out just the, the ones that you like. <laughs> and then that's why I can't be like, yes, it was good. Yes, it was worth it. Yeah, there's good parts in it and it took work, but I don't see the point of this gift. That- that's why Fair. the reviewers said gave it mixed reviews because they said there are segments they liked, and but then their segments they were just meh about. And just the overall concept is just why mm-hmm. we didn't need to do <laughs> this. Very apt. Yeah. Uh, thank you two for joining us. Actually, this is <laughs> this was a lot more fun than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> we probably talked for longer than the movie is. No, we did. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you know, oh we my did. god, yes. about this really quickly is that um it's very clear that the animators care and the story care but the there's obviously a thick layer of 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 corporate shenanigans that that hang high over this movie Uh and i think that that is probably the thing that honestly ruined everything on it it doesn't even feel like corporate shenanigans after hearing what kayla told us it just feels like they didn't quite understand what they were getting into and just yeah yeah, they didn't know how to approach the modern era but it's like the the person captaining the ship is the one who not the people yeah that's what i'm getting at and and not out of any like malice or anything just genuine missteps and mistakes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. can we go back to goofy being a a christ figure Every time he gets a nail driven into his uh, his arm, he gets he does the goofy scream. Look, I'm not looking forward to the next one. Gorge forgive them because they know not. In the Noah's Ark version, um, could you imagine like uh, Goofy being one of the animals that's on the (laughs) boat and being led in on a leash by Tom? Oh my! Two of every animal. It's Pluto and Goofy. Oh my god! Wait, no, I take it back. I take it back. Goofy is God, and Max is Jesus. Yes! <laughs> Can you imagine the back and forth there? Oh, Dad, oh why and, do you have? He, why are you doing this to me? It's for your own good, Max. Oh, and, and and PJ, PJ is is Judas. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I want this to exist so badly, but this would probably get copyrighted so hard. <laughs> oh, so good. Uh, I want to skip next month. What's next month? We have to review Dinosaur. Uh, it's not the worst thing. It's not the worst thing, but it's a movie I don't care much for. Same. Do you have um, any open slots left? Yeah, we're going to have a few. Okay, good. Thank you for joining us, and uh, um, let the music carry you away. Because you're going to be hearing the end of the Firebird at this part. Because why not? Yes. Enjoy. Enjoy.
to all who come to this happy podcast, welcome. Nothing new is something new. That great poets imitate and improve. Where our small ones steal and spoil. Hi, I'm Andrew. And I'm Justin. And if it wasn't readily apparent at that, we're huge nerds about remakes. That's why we're doing the Nothing New Podcast. Once a month, we'll sit down and talk about a remake in detail and its original, covering them in whatever order they come out, from Wizard Oz to It and beyond. They're remaking Stuart Gordon's 1986 sci-fi horror classic from beyond? Oh, no. Not yet. Oh, that's going to be a long time coming. Anyway, if that sounds up your alley, come join Justin and I, and maybe a guest or two, to explore the wonderful world of remakes, film by film. Remakes have been done forever. People talk about Scarface don't even know that was a remake. Oh, nicely said. Don't thank me. Thank Antoine Fuqua. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com. <laughs>